I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1963. The album is Think Ethnic, the artist, the Smothers Brothers. My guest this week is Katie Mears. Thanks so much for doing the show. Hi. <laughs> yeah, so happy to be here. <laughs> this, uh, so you pick, I'm so glad that you picked the Smothers Brothers. They rarely come up for whatever reason, and yet they are my favorites. Because yeah. I don't get to force anybody to talk about anything. And if I could... <laughs> It would be this. Yeah. Well, I sent you a list of a few that I had in mind, and I was so happy that you responded with, like, Smothers Brothers, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. So I'm I'm here with you. I'm happy about it as well. It's been forever since I've heard this one. I, oh, yeah. I, I, I think I own all of them, and I think this is the one that at one point I accidentally bought five copies of. Um, <laughs> I love it that much. I'm like, How I don't that have happen? this, do I? Oh, sure. I, literally me just, just thinking, I don't have this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So, real smart. I had forgotten that this is the one... I always say that the Purple Onion's my favorite one, but there's some stuff on here that um, is undeniably some of my favorite comedy of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- now, why why the Smothers Brothers for you? Let's talk about you for a quick second, though, before we get into that, actually. Sure. Uh, bad interview. Bad interview style. Um, <laughs> uh, let's talk about uh, your YouTube channel, um, your academic work in comedy, because you're not a comedian, right? I'm not. No, I'm not a comedian. I come from kind of the academic world, and I've always loved performance art, but it's stand-up in particular that I think is just criminally underexplored in academia, and so I've written a ton about it. I'm working on a chapter right now in a book with some professors that I know. Um, My MA thesis was all about Mark Twain's lectures and kind of proto-stand-up comedy in the 1800s, so kind of (laughs) all over the place. And then I have a YouTube channel where I make video essays about um, some of my favorite comedians who are underappreciated, some work that's being done, some trends in stand-up, comedic archetypes, um, fun, random things. In the same way that other people make video essays about film, I make video essays about stand-up. Well, it's good that you're doing that because, uh, and also I like that you're doing it from the perspective of, I mean, I don't do stand-up myself. I do comedy, but I don't do Mm stand-up. And I I like the perspective of, uh, you can't be considered an outsider because you've studied it so much, but Mm -hmm. from the perspective of somebody who doesn't do it, it is refreshing. And I think people get afraid. We talk about it on the show a lot. People get so afraid to analyze comedy, but I don't think that it doesn't ruin it for me. Yeah, sure. Ellen, I'm not sitting apart being like, this joke works because they took a four-second pause. It's none of that. It's not not the math of it. It's more about who are these people, what are they saying, why is this interesting, why is this important, why is this going to stand the test of time, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, yeah. So I'm... Boy, I, w- I would actually love to sit and talk to you about Mark Twain, because much as I love him, I've never heard anybody do that kind of breakdown of, yeah. you know, him as, like you say, a proto stand-up comic. Um, oh, yeah. man. See, now I just want to <laughs> talk about Mark Twain. Uh, but uh, so what? why is this in your list? Why is Think Ethnic specifically in your list? Sure, sure. So um, the Smothers Brothers, when I lived in LA, I would go to Amoeba all the time and go to their comedy section. They always had, you know, 99 cent records and I would grab up the Smothers Brothers ones. Um, it's so interesting. Uh, my The first like time I interacted with the Smothers Brothers was actually with um, this like made for TV musical Once Upon a Mattress where 
an uh-huh. old Tommy Smothers plays the king. And that uh-huh. was like, I, I wasn't raised on them. And I think I would have loved them as a child, but it wasn't something that was in my world until much later, until I was interested in them academically. I wrote a little bit about them in college because um, I was fascinated with the whole censorship ordeal with their TV show and just kind of how sure. badass they were. Because um, that was kind of my interest in them. But I think something that is underappreciated when we talk about the Smothers Brothers nowadays, the focus is usually on the transgression and how they, you know, sneakily look like Midwestern Bible salesmen but have this kind uh-huh. of rebellion in them. You know, I think that's always where the attention goes and sometimes I wish we would also pay attention to just like how absurdly charming and fun and lovable and just that comedy that still holds up to me because sibling stuff will always be <laughs> relatable and yeah. sweet. So that was something that is usually my angle on the Smothers Brothers, and I think thick, I think Ethnic is a great example of them having fun, just their kind of standard family squabbles in between their, like, randomly very talented um, yeah. musical abilities. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of my angle here. Um, that's why I love those early albums, is just how much fun they're having, you know? Mm-hmm. So this is one I'm assuming, is this the first Smothers Brothers album you heard, or is it just a particular favorite out of them? I think it's a particular favorite of mine. Um, the one I've probably heard the most is the Aesop one, randomly. <laughs> really? <laughs> no oh my ever. god. Because that one's like made for children, and it's really uh-huh. random, and it's like never a part of the conversation, but I always kind of liked it. It's a super weird one. Um, but I think is, yeah. this is one that makes me laugh out loud one of like the most there's just so many random bits and i love how they'll commit to doing something for like two minutes just to have one little turn at the end like the never shall i marry and then just the i'll mess around a little bit though like (laughs) like, their level of commitment is something that i've always really appreciated about the smillers brothers oh god me too i i don't you know (laughs) they are guys who i've never dug into their backstory i i I just i know Mm. a a bunch about the show a bunch about their albums i know a little bit about where they were raised uh, Mm -hmm. you know from one of the books that was written about them but i don't know enough Mm -hmm. about like their their subversive uh i I don't know where the subversiveness comes from unless Mm. it's a it could be a product of the time Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe you know more about it than i do i'd be curious to know how much you know about their backstory (laughs) Um, well, the first thing that pops in my head when I think about where it comes from, um, do you know about their father at all? Only a little. Yeah. I mean, I know that he was a, a cotton-picking, finger-licking chicken picker. That's <laughs> about all I know. Um, well, he was in World War II. They were born on a military base, and he died in World War II when they were very young, because they were both, That's both born right. in the 30s. That's okay. Yeah. Um, and so I can understand at least the anti-Vietnam sentiments in them. I can definitely see <laughs> a very easy mm-hmm. through line there. Um, but I also think when you have that type of platform in the mid-60s and you are young and CBS is kind of this place where they could sneak things in, then of course mm-hmm. that last season was total chaos and they had to submit everything 10 days earlier than the air date oh. and just <laughs> the craziness. Isn't there a story where they wouldn't air one of the sketches and so they printed a transcription of it in some newspaper or magazine. Do you, uh, know, do you yes. know that story? <laughs> uh, yeah. Amazing. Yep. Amazing. I amazing. Yeah. Well, stories so of, of people thumbing their nose at censorship will always have a charm to them, no matter what decade we're talking about. People For love sure. rebels. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. It's just, and it was, uh, uh, you know, not to hammer too much on as what you're saying earlier. You know, they do look like Midwestern Bible salesmen, and that is kind of a sneaky way to 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 say what you want to say. I mean, there are little sure. there's little bits in here. Well, not little bits. There's 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 tons of stuff on this album that is that is subversive, but it's still harmless. It's not. I don't think it's challenging anybody's perception of the world around them. No. Um, <laughs> you know, everybody's kind of on board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's um, that's kind of what they're doing, right? They're doing folk standards. This is this mm-hmm. album isn't trying to push anyone. I think this album is for fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It just it's it's a little it's a little naughty. I guess it gets a little <laughs> naughty. And sure. In, in what, but it, uh, my favorite part though is, I mean, both their their character work is it's impeccable. It's mm-hmm. perfectly acted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that comes back to that kind of commitment that I was talking about. Tommy just mm-hmm. plays his role to a T, and he's so good um, at making you say, like, I, okay, I want to I believe that that was real. <laughs> Even though you mm-hmm. know I'm sure they've done these jokes a million times, there's a sweetness there. Um, and calling out his big brother, who's actually his little brother, um, and, like, the I don't know if this is taboo or I'd, I'm interested in your read when you re-listen to this on the like uh-huh. Habe Nagila joke <laughs> like uh-huh. what the hell is going on in that track that is something that <laughs> I guess I'd forgotten about and when I was re-listening to it I'm like what is this joke the like Venezuelan <laughs> rain dancing that turns into Habe Nagila is right. so absurd it feels I like know. a completely different comedic sensibility and it really got me yeah, for sure. And they're playing it for an audience that's at least going to get the... They're at least worldly enough to know that that song exists mm-hmm. uh, and that Jewish people are a thing. I feel like there are places you could have gone and they're like, what's a Jewish? Uh, but, uh, the, yeah, I, I've, I've never been sure. Uh, that was one, actually, that, that track that that stood out to me where I was like, I had forgotten the bit where he's like, you know, yeah, well, you know, you know, what does he say? They're they're not that different. They're a little different, yeah, but they're weird. And then he says, yeah. and then, you know, don't forget, we need their coffee and their rubber. And I'm yeah. like, that was one of those. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And then yes, for some reason, all of a sudden, it does become Hava Nagila. And I'm, I, I don't know why, but it's it's delightful. It's it's super it's, delightful. So cheery. Sure. And then the random twenty second Santa Claus is coming to town joke. Like, this album is such a hodgepodge of different types of silly just thrown together. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. But you're right, with the mild man chicken plucker thing, that, that, gets, a mm-hmm. little, that gets a little dicey, a little taboo, probably. Uh-huh. Um, and then... G- <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that was... No, no, I'm interrupting you, but that was one on the... And I've mentioned this before, but on the TV show, that got even more... Uh, it got uh, political, but it also got a little more risky, and it's fantastic. Yeah. I... Uh, yeah, it, they, they, they got a lot more uh, racial on, <laughs> on the show, and it was great. It's great. Yeah, it's I believe it. Phenomenal. I believe it. So, is Smothers Brothers, are, did you grow up with them? How long have they been in, in your world? Just so I grew up with them because, uh, uh, let's see, so my grandmother gave my mother her live at the Purple Onion, and my mother pretty immediately gave it to me, so... I, in my early teens, maybe, when I started listening to it oh, okay. on vinyl. That's a great and I age. It was perfect. And yeah. they were repeating the shows on E or some shit. So I, I did get, like, a little bit of perspective on, on what this show used to be, although I had no concept of the the politics part of it. Sure. But they are in my genes, for sure. Okay, okay. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, any anyone in a different generation watching that show is just not gonna, unless you have, like, a pretty good understanding of what was going on, so much of it will yeah. go over your head just the way it went over the censor's head, usually. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But that's kind of, I guess, part of the fun, too, is that it is that kind of, like, sneakiness in there. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you have uh, a favorite um, moment or moments on this album? Something Or something maybe that you come back to or you might quote when the album's not playing? I know I've got a few of those. Yeah, I think the first thing that pops in my head has to be I Will Never Marry because I mm-hmm. the type of comedy that I love usually is I love the huge expansive setup to like the teeny punchline and that's kind of how yeah. I view that song. Because um, sometimes what I love about the Smothers Brothers is once they get going on a song, um, you can kind of forget who they are and you can just mm-hmm. start to enjoy it. And it's this beautiful <laughs> way that you can just always trick your audience. And I think it works over and over and over again because I'm like, oh, this is like a sweet song. And I feel like I've heard this song in some musical at some point. And then uh-huh. they can just <laughs> slap you with the dumb jokes at the end. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is Tommy Smothers. And I remember what I'm doing here. <laughs> it's such charm, you know? What um, For sure. What do you think of first? Uh, black is the color, and I think it's because even though that is a that is a commercial that has not existed for 50 years, it's mm-hmm. still, like, I, I was just barely aware that only her hairdresser knows was a thing from a Clairol ad, even mm. though I may not have known it was Clairol. <laughs> that, for some reason, is because you can hear the audience pick up on the fact that they've switched the lyrics around to the song mm-hmm. because the song is black of the black is the color of my true love's hair but they've switched it to my love's true hair yeah <laughs> and oh my god but they pick up on it and like the audience is like is this a gag did they mess up and mm-hmm. then then the stupid punchline is a commercial punchline yeah. and i for some reason has always made me very happy yeah yeah that's what we were talking about before is like they have so many different types of jokes um Mm -hmm. not that that is particular but i think sometimes when you go to older stand-up or stand-up that has a real kind of vaudeville feel to it um Mm -hmm. it can get a little exhausting after a while because you know they do their thing and they do it well but it can be a little one note and i think that's a place where the smillers brothers really excel um that you can keep coming back to it and find different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I also love the album o- opens with a song where Tommy's just singing soap, 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 soap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to sing about eight bars. That's a perfect, dumb, shitty, and delightful vaudeville joke that it's just yeah. like, That's I'd forgotten about it. That's some dad joke stuff, yeah. Yep. Oh, mm-hmm. boy. Oh, boy. That is heaven to me. That is a perfectly, <laughs> perfectly worded joke. Yeah. 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 Talk so about funny. like economy of, of a joke. It's just so, uh-huh. so tight. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it does make you roll your eyes, you, you can't deny it. Of course. I'm curious. <laughs> so if, if you're spending this much time writing about stand up and comedy and, and talking about it, what what's the first kind of stand up you were watching or listening to as a kid? Like, how did you get exposed to it and still not want to do it? <laughs> Oh my god. I'm interested. Like there's yeah. not a lot of people who get that into it and don't like, you know what, maybe I'll give it a shot. Sure, sure. And you know, I probably get asked once a week <laughs> if I'm a, if mm-hmm. I'm a comedian. Like people are, are very fascinated by what I do. Um I think my first exposures, my I remember my mom playing a cassette of Stephen Wright's I Have a Pony when I was really little. I remember that Ooh. being in the rotation. And that's something that a kid brain would love because it's so of course. so sharp. 
Um, I remember some early Steve Martin vinyls when I was young, um, but I think the first album that really got me is I remember my whole family sitting around and dying laughing to the first Brian Regan album, and oh. like three generations of Muses, which is my family, just loving that. Um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's undeniable. Um, the first one that I feel like was really mine, though, and the first one that got me interested in stand-up, um, I fell in love with Dimitri Martin when I was in middle school. Oh, I Like, I sure. loved his weird brain, and I loved his mathy stand-up comedy. Um, mm-hmm. And so I dug into him. I'm sure, you know, I learned every word to that album, and I thought it was so beautiful and strange and unlike anything I'd ever heard before. Um, And then I think when podcasts started being a thing, I think I was the right age. I was in high school, and I remember loving podcasts and listening to podcasts, and, like, no one knew what I was talking about, basically, ever. Um, But I think that is what turned stand-up comedy from something that I enjoyed listening to and was one of a few things that I liked into something that I was so captivated by and wanted to study and write about and learn everything about, because podcasts are where you get to know these people and where you get to kind of understand where they're coming from and how they work on their material and how they shape their material. I loved being invited in to their process. There's such an intimacy. I'm sure you of all people are aware (laughs) of the Mm -hmm. intimacy that a podcast can provide. And that's something that I loved. Um, um, And then also (laughs) to answer your question about why I'm not a comedian, I always was like, who are these people that are willing to go up like and and bomb for years? Like that sounds awful. And what Mm -hmm. is their, what is their brain? Um, I, I think <laughs> I I think I am a little too secure and like too well loved to crave <laughs> those things. <laughs> I think I'm very lucky in a lot of ways. I don't I don't think I crave that, but I'm fascinated by the people who do, and I think that they fail so beautifully over and over again. Um, and just the visceral effort that goes into stand-up comedy that I don't see in other art forms just made me want to call out and be like, why aren't people (laughs) paying more attention to what these amazing people are doing? And so when I got obsessed with it, you know, it... I read all the books I could find and then I was out of books very quickly and I was very mad about that. And that kind of led me to um, continue to work on it myself. You know, I wedged stand-up into every paper I ever wrote in college um, (laughs) and then finally in grad school I was able to focus on it in earnest. Yeah, yeah. It was never far from my studies. What, uh, I'm curious, uh, which books you, you read that actually gave you something that you could use? I'm, I'm curious what books you've, you've read about it. Cause I've only read a couple. Cause again, standup is an interest of mine, but mm. not a fascination. So mm. I'm curious what you've read. Interesting for. distinction there, by the way. Um, so I started off just reading the memoirs of the comedians that I loved. So... Moshe Kasher's memoir meant a lot to me. Patton Oswalt's first memoir meant a lot to me. Michael Ian Black's memoir also, <laughs> I think, uh-huh. is, is underrated. I know he's not the best stand-up in the world, but I think he's a really interesting, creative person. And I was obsessed with the state, briefly. Um, sure. So I started with the memoirs of, of the people that I wanted to understand better. And then... Richard Zoglin's book is amazing. Nachman's book about comedy in the 50s and 60s is great. And then, of course, you have Cliff Nestroff's book, which came out a few years ago, which is kind of like the comprehensive 
book on the history of stand-up. That's more mm -hmm. of a textbook feel. Although, frustratingly, <laughs> it only starts in vaudeville, which someone like me gets frustrated at because I want to talk about Mark Twain and I want to go back another, you know, half century. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Long story short, there are some really good things out there. There's also some professors that are doing really interesting work writing about stand-up or teaching courses about stand-up. But it's still a dearth. It's still a huge dearth in, in academia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, what, what are some early podcasts that, that kind of hit you too? Because I, I know that there are some times when I would run across shows where I'm, I suddenly realized, oh, I do have an intro. I, I had, I think I told a few people on this podcast early on, I was like, I kind of had forgotten stand up was a thing until podcasts. They kind of reminded me. I live in LA. I should probably be going out and watching stand up <laughs> comedy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, podcasts change that for me. Oh my gosh. And I'd love to talk to you um, at some point about New York and LA stand up comedy scenes and how they're sim mm -hmm. similar and different. I think um, while I w I've listened to a million podcasts, my job that I do, um, I can often listen to podcasts while doing that. So I have an absurd podcast intake. I think You Made It Weird is the one that I found when I was in high school sure. that um, meant a lot to me. Um, I was madly in love with Pete Holmes, <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, he has this beautiful talent for making you fall in love with whoever he's talking to. He's just an incredibly empathetic interviewer. Um, so that's kind of, that was my foray as a fan. And then obviously I <laughs> got too fascinated with it academically as well. Hey everybody, it's Jason. This week, Comedy on Vinyl is proudly sponsored by $300 Data Recovery. And there's a very good reason for that. Uh, that's because there would be no episode this week without them. And we'd have had to start the entire show from scratch if we hadn't found out about their services. So as you probably saw online a few weeks ago, my hard drive crashed. That was six terabytes, almost a million files, and they recovered everything for me. Uh, this was not an easy order either. I had four drives in one enclosure in a RAID setup, meaning you can't just plug in the drives and copy stuff over. They took my drives, examined them, determined whether or not they needed to open my drives up in their clean room. Luckily, they didn't for me, which sped some things up. And then they copied everything over to a very large USB drive for me. The rates are reasonable, as little as $300 a drive, hence the name. And they don't just work locally. You can send your drives into them. So go to $300DataRecovery.com. That's the number 300, then $DollarDataRecovery.com. Check them out, and once you do, back that stuff up again. That's a big thing. Um, I had a hard drive that was supposed to be foolproof, and it wasn't. And uh, $300 Data Recovery helped me out, saving 26-plus years of writing, art, photos, videos, everything, including this podcast. So check out $300 Data Recovery and let them know that Jason from Comedy on Vinyl sent you. Now, back to the show. What I don't know, and again, I hate doing this, is, is, is being like, you know what I love? And then I don't actually know how this happened. Like, I don't know how scripted their stuff is, but it's so, it's performed so perfectly because Tommy has this performed mushmouth, this, this just ability to slaughter the English language. Like, uh, you know, I, you know, the only person I can think of right now who does it this artfully is Matt Gorley. Uh, he's kind of a genius. I will say to people listening, he's going to be on my next comedy album, so keep uh, an ear out for that. He has this, like, it, there's, it's a very similar kind of fake stupid that he does uh, when mm -hmm. he's just talking off the top of his head. There's in, okay, so which one is it? It's, uh, which, is it track three here? It's, it, oh yes, it's, it's, it's the about fox the fox. with the quacking. Yep. <laughs> But he's also, and he's saying this, Wentz told their stories in Yon Times of Yore. I had to write it down. Uh, <laughs> you transcribed just, it. I love it. Uh, Jesus Christ. It's just little things like that that just, 
it's complete garbage, complete brain garbage. And because mm-hmm. of that, it's just, you can't stop listening. It's magic. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's such a mind and, and Dick is just the perfect foil. I feel like he's underappreciated, but yes, he <laughs> they're, is. there's such a good standard. I mean, talk about vaudeville like that mm-hmm. is the standard the dimwit and the straight man but it, it's it's perfect mm-hmm. um, and Matt Gorley is such an interesting modern day allegory that I wouldn't have pegged I love that mm-hmm. yeah he, he's it's, he does the same thing to my brain which is he's doing something where he's pulling completely from the subconscious and just saying the first thing that pops into his head and yet mm-hmm. makes it sound lyrical and that's a skill I do not have, and I don't understand where it comes from. And he'll keep yeah. doing it. He just—it's endless. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a font yeah. of garbage, but beautiful garbage. <laughs> beautiful garbage. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, question: yes. out, of, out of curiosity, what is your what is your birth order sibling situation? Do you relate to the squabbles? Uh, I, yeah, I do. I'm the older brother. Um, and, Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, for sure I do. And I, I relate to, uh, being looked up, uh, looked up to for no reason and not appreciate (laughs) that, uh, appreciating that until way late in life. Uh, and I'm easily the idiot of the two. So there's, there's no, yeah, I'm, I mean, my, my sister's a million times smarter than I am. And, uh, she does not believe me. I don't think when I tell her that, but yeah, she's a million times smarter than I am, but yeah. And I I think I, I love, I, that's one of the things the squabbles are so genuine and also so, perfectly scripted that they're a nice combination it could it could be uncomfortable if these guys existed today and they wanted to get real dark about it they could uh but i like that Mm. it's you know i like that it's a it's it's couched in pretty music and goofy just goofiness yeah oh my gosh if they had existed today it would have been i mean they probably would have talked all about losing their father like i feel like it would have been because there's more room today for that kind of vulnerable transparency. Sure. Um, that's a fun thought exercise of, of what they would look like. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if, if it would have worked as right. well. Maybe not. And I don't know what kind of music they would do because they're obviously at a perfect time when folk and comedy were, you know, they were very close friends. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and one was turning into the other. I don't know if they're trajectory was maybe you know if it was folk to comedy or if it was always folk and comedy at the same time do you do you Mm. have any knowledge because i don't know so i i I hate people don't like when i say i don't know but i like to be honest (laughs) you're allowed to not know things i know (laughs) just so you know you don't have to be the expert here um i'm not sure if they started straight i would assume so i know that they were in other bands first so Mm -hmm. they must and they clearly have the depth of knowledge. Like, there are some musical comedians, I won't name names, but who clearly are comedians first and musicians, like, way second. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just kind of a way to, to transfer what they want to do. But, you know, as we said, they, they've got they got the skills. Yeah. So. Perfect harmonies. Like, I, I was playing it and just like, <laughs> again, you get lost. You forget for a moment that you're not listening to a music album. And mm-hmm. it's, that is the perfect kind of uh, just distraction and the perfect way to slap you. Like, you just, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, here's a nice hug, slap. It's, it's <laughs> kind of beautiful. Uh, he yeah. refers to Daniel Boone as a trailer and a tractor because he calls him a trailer and a trapper. And that's one of my favorite bits of the whole thing. And he, that one got you? Yes. Well, he reminds me of a friend of mine that I grew up with who's very, who also loved uh, Tommy Smothers, but also was 100% Tommy Smothers, and uh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, this made me like 
tear up with joy. It's so funny. I don't know. Oh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> I love how comedy can do that, especially if it's something that's been with you for for decades, mm-hmm. as it seems to have been. Yeah, you can just tap into those memories so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Did you? Okay, so this yeah. is one that you picked up in in L.A. Do you, mm-hmm. what about, and we talked about some of the early stuff that you listened to. Do you know what the first album you ever owned for yourself was? If you were much of an album buyer as a kid, I don't know if you were. Oh, comedy or in general? Uh, comedy. <laughs> first comedy album that I bought myself was probably Dimitri Martin's 2006 album. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having that and I remember like my friends coming over and wanting to hang out and I would like make them listen to it and I don't <laughs> think they like really cared at all but I was like so obsessed. Um, so that that was probably a big one for me. Also, so when I went to college um they did this program the summer before freshman year where everyone got assigned a random other incoming freshman and you were supposed to like make them a mix cd and it was like this big long chain so that you would kind of go in with like a quasi friend a little bit um and i just put in it was like all stand-up that i put in for this like poor girl (laughs) who probably didn't care and moshe kasher's album had just come out and i was really into him so there's like really weird like, probably I shouldn't have done it because some of it was, like, weirdly inappropriate and, like, they don't know me at all. And it was a weird decision that I made. Oh, um, but hopefully, hopefully she enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, sorry. I'm more into comedy than music, so this is what you're going to get from me. <laughs> so if you had... Okay, if you had to have done a, a, a music CD, what would you... Do you have any idea what you would have chosen at the time? <clears throat> oh, God. You don't, um, you don't have any idea. <laughs> I mean, it would have been probably, I don't know, I, I abhorred the radio growing up. I really didn't like listening to the radio, probably because I liked listening to my music and I didn't want to listen to, like, what the world liked. Sure. I was very uh, hipster, I guess, in that sense. I don't know, it, it might have been musicals. I was a big musical nerd for a long time. Um, I took a musicals class in college and wrote, like, a 30-page paper on Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Oh, my God. If I need to, like, out-nerd myself. Yeah. That might have been on it. I was really into Cat Stevens for a period, so there probably would be some cat on there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You, um, all right, so you, you would have driven them nuts no matter what, is what it sounds like yeah. a little bit. Okay. That's, oh, that's completely. Good. They they wouldn't have gotten anything that they, they probably would have been able to just throw on casually, <laughs> which is like the whole point of the exercise that I just straight up missed. <laughs> I, I wonder if this person had like listened to it and later was like, you know what, the stand-up thing is pretty good, or if they're like, now they hate comedy because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope I didn't scare them off of it. Right. I did put some weird things on there. But um, when I was in, in college for three years, I had a radio show where I just played stand-up. So I kind of <laughs> followed awesome. that to its natural conclusion. Yeah. And I would have comedians come on and talk and present things and talk about what was going on in the world of stand-up. So that That's was amazing. a ton of fun to do. Yeah. It was rad. It was a good time. Are those archived um, anywhere we can hear them or no? Yeah. The last season of it, you can listen to their way back on my YouTube channel, if you're interested. Oh, awesome. But okay. there's some fun stuff. Yeah, there's some on Professor Blast stuff. There's some Duncan Trussell episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you like him. He went uh, maybe went a little bit off the deep end, but I, I very <laughs> much enjoyed him for a while. Um, so, yeah, lots of, lots of strange things. That was the fun thing about having a weekly 
um, radio show where it was just kind of like whatever was fascinating me at the time I got to talk about even if it was only like my parents and my grandma listening which is probably what it was <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, how far back does your love of stand-up I mean are there like like what's the oldest stand-up that you could consider yourself a fan of whose stuff holds up for you I mean if I want to be obnoxious I'll say Twain sure but <laughs> Twain and Artemis Ward, I think, are both stand-up comedians who still really hold up. Um, Will Rogers is the 30s. He's one of the older ones that I would cite as, like, legitimately can still make me laugh. And then if you go to Borscht Belt and Sicknicks, and that's when there's it just explodes in the comedians that are still great. You know, some, like Lenny Bruce, might not age as well as others, um, but... Mort Saul, Shelley Berman, that kind of stuff is always super fun. Henny Youngman still makes me laugh, even though he's uh, a little bit strange. What do you think of Bob Hope? What's your What's your professional opinion on Bob Hope? Um, I I'm realizing the more I think about it lately, I have thought about it quite a bit uh, because yeah. like, he has a presence in LA, especially Burbank, that is always going to be here until people forget. Like they they just renamed the airport, and like I was here yeah. when he died, <laughs> and when they named it the Bob Hope Airport and then they've just recently changed it because I guess nobody gives a shit anymore and I'm like which is fine you, you do what you gotta do but I'm realizing he's so much a presence that I couldn't name a single Bob Hope joke because mm. he was just this thing he was so yeah you know he was so massive and so huge and by the time he passed away same with, with like a George Burns it's like I know of who they are I get a a sense uh I remember thinking he was funny when, he, when I was a kid but I'm mm. also so used to hearing comedians I love pick on how boring he was that I don't know. I'm realizing I don't have a, <laughs> my own opinion of him. And I'm going to have to yeah. dig back and see if he was funny in a way, you know, in, in a way that would hold up for me. I don't know. That's a long yeah. way to say I'm not sure. <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't have to have an answer. He's an interesting figure because I think, at least in my world, there are these people that really love Bob Hope and call him the first stand-up comedian and he's this uh -huh. huge thing and then there's the other side where they just kind of write him off as this like cheap entertainer kind of sellout because mm -hmm. he was one of the first comedians to have writers and a lot of people hate that I guess uh, <laughs> okay okay yeah yeah so there's some some people can get a little bit polar about about Bob Hope I think he's interesting my mom has always hated him which might have tainted my uh -huh. views on him yeah she has, I don't know why she has a very strong opinion about hating Bob Hope <laughs> I'm not sure where that comes from I should ask her but I, I think I think he can come off just a little hacky if, if sure. you're used to a steady diet of like Lenny Bruce's it's not gonna go down smoothly uh, for sure and I, I don't know that Bob <laughs> Hope ever delivered uh, any joke in any different way I feel like he had one delivery and that at least in mm -hmm. my head that's how it is you know, sure. Uh, and so I don't know how interesting it was later on. I should actually. Add, OK, so the friend of the show, Dan Pasternak, has uh, he'll tell me <laughs> he'll say he wasn't bragging, but he 100 percent was bragging by saying he worked on Let a, him brag. Yeah, he was 16 and wrote on a Bob New, Bob Hope special, like one of Bob Hope's last specials. And I'm like, 16? first of all, fuck yourself, Dan. Second of all, well done. <laughs> Dan. Well done. Yeah. Uh, sure. and, like, and so I, I feel like I should ask him because he's a guy who is a bit of an old soul. Uh, still, mm. and I, I'd be curious what his. Obviously, I know he likes Bob Hope. He loves Bob Hope. Yeah. But I, I, I'd like to know his perspective because, I yeah, I don't know what a Bob Hope is other than my 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 general concept of him. 
Yeah, mm. yeah. I think I think when I think of him, I just think of yeah. It's that it's that format. It's that structure, which kind of went on to be just the monologue section of every late night show. Sure, like that. That is kind of the style that he brought forth. Mm-hmm. And so I think your opinion on Bob Hope is gonna be indicative of just the way in which you view stand up. What stand-up is to you and how you define it mm-hmm. is Bob Hope is kind of like a litmus test for stand-up comedy nerds maybe. right yeah and I mean <laughs> I, I would bet I would put money on Conan like liking a, a Bob Hope because his delivery has always been I think all like you say all monologues not only in terms of format but like delivery seems to be like if you don't do the punchline in this certain way it doesn't feel like a monologue mm-hmm. joke and mm-hmm. somehow doesn't with somebody like Conan for me doesn't come across as hacky uh, but it mm. might it might be I don't I just love Conan yeah. I, 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 that's the problem Conan can almost do no wrong with me so it's it's hard interesting what do you think of um, we're off topic but uh-huh. I'm really fascinated by Conan right now yeah. because he seems to be like infiltrating the LA comedy scene a little bit uh-huh. like he feels kind of like this old comedy dad who's like trying to be hip with the like young comedy scene. Uh-huh. Do you get that vibe at all? I, I, like he was just on My Favorite Murder. He was on Wild Horses. He has that podcast. Right. You know, he was on CBB not too long ago. It's like, where did this come from? What's I, what's happening? I Do you have any insight? My insight is he knew he had to cut the show in half and now he still can't stop working. It's very much like if I'm not doing something. I, I, I do think it is a... It's just not the a, engine on him? It, it's a, He desperately needs... <sighs> I don't mean I don't mean desperate in a in a in a sad sense, but he needs to remain relevant in order to keep functioning. And I think relevance now means yeah. something. It just means diversifying what you're doing. Although it is weird that he's doing stand up, and I haven't seen his stand up yet. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that would be. I can't imagine him doing stand up. Uh, yeah. at all. I don't know. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, if you saw that documentary a few years ago, it yeah. definitely paints him as someone with just an engine that cannot be contained. Absolutely. Um, and, and not necessarily in a, in a positive way. I think, it, I mean, hosting one of those shows, I can only imagine what that does to your brain. For sure. Um, and I, <laughs> unless you're like a Craig Ferguson type who just kind of skirts the whole thing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I miss I miss him so much. But... I don't know. I, I would I would be really interested in your opinion on Conan on My Favorite Murder because he comes on and talks about how much he loves murder and I don't trust it. Right. <laughs> to me, I was like, I I think you're just being super pandery and I, mm-hmm. I'm very skeptical. Yep. Um, maybe he does. Who knows? I'd maybe have to listen to that. I Well, I would have to listen to any true crime, which creeps me the fuck out. And I, I would be suspicious... Of, I'm always suspicious that he's being insincere at every moment. And that is from a place of love. Again, I think he's a genius. <laughs> but I'm suspicious of everything he does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's an interesting figure. He's I, I, I would love to see him do stand-up, though. Because mm-hmm. it's been a crazy time right now in stand-up comedy of so many returns to stand-up. Like, I love that Judd Apatow is performing again. Mm-hmm. I love that Ellen did a special. Adam Sandler. All these people who have just been, like, famous and in other parts of entertainment coming back to stand-up is so beautiful. And I cannot imagine how difficult it is to start again. So I really I commend know. them. Yeah, same here. Yeah. There are some people who yeah. I would like to follow in those footsteps. Specifically, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy is oh the guy God. I want to see come back. And do just one more special. Just for, just for me. Right? You know? Don't you want to know what his thoughts are on everything that's going on? I do. I mean, I'm a uh. little scared as to what they might be uh, and that I might not like him <laughs> when the special's over. However, 
However, yeah. I, I'd like it. I, I'd still give him a chance. I'd still give him a chance. Yeah. Oh, he's so important. It's it's so sad um, how many amazing comedians we lose to other forms of media and other types of showbiz. It happens yeah. all the time. Um, but, you know, making movies or having a TV show is easier and cheaper and more fun, probably, and less lonely and sure. less heartbreaking. Like, I totally understand why it happens, but I still am always a little jaded about it. Yeah, same here. <laughs> I, I mean, there, I, I have hopes because, and I uh, apologize to people who are hearing this twice in almost two weeks, but uh, Eddie Murphy is doing a movie where he's playing Rudy Ray Moore, and that's coming out on Netflix. And I'm hoping hey. that it is A, R-rated, and I'm hoping that it maybe gets him to start performing again. I'm, I'm just like, I don't know that that's going to happen, but he's playing a stand-up. I, and I think, yeah. you know, and I think it's because he didn't get to do Richard Pryor. He wanted to play Richard Pryor for a long time. Um, yeah. I still think that's weird, though. I think he, at one point, was bigger than Richard Pryor, and it's weird to then play Richard Pryor when you're about at the same level, even if he's your hero. So he picked Rudy Ray Moore, which is kind of a fun, a fun choice and filthy choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but come on. Like, we love those filthy comedians. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That's going to be so interesting. Yeah. I hadn't heard about that yet, so I'm really excited. Yeah. Um, I've only known about it because yeah. a buddy of mine was in it, and when he told me, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You're, uh, you know you're, <laughs> you know you're doing my podcast, right? And, uh, you know, so now we're going to have to – it's going to be the filthiest album we've ever talked about on the show. There's there's whatever one he picks. It doesn't matter. They're all dirty. Heck yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. And what's what's your approach to that? Are you gonna skirt away or are you gonna dive straight oh, in? Oh no, we're gonna have we're gonna have to like just get right into it because otherwise, like what the what the hell are we talking? I mean, you, if you watch it because we had a viewing party of Dolomite just to get ready to watch him in, in this movie when it comes out, and I was like, Oh, okay. Yep, okay. I, I mean there's <laughs> there's no getting around it. You you couldn't Yeah, there, there's no getting around talking about that if you're talking about yeah. it anymore. I'm excited about it actually. Yeah. Heck yeah. I'm looking forward to it, too. That'll be fun. Uh, has, there, has there been anyone recently that really caught your eye in terms of stand-up? I know you're not... Um, hmm. I, don't, I don't know how deep in the world you are, actually. I mean, here, like there are people who I continue to follow once I absolutely... Like, Dan Telfer is one of my favorite stand-ups, and it could be because mm. I saw him live. It could be, but like, it's not just because I saw him live. It's it, What I saw him perform was absolute genius. I think he's he's an underrated genius of a man who's writing for TV shows when, you know, I would also love to see the guy with a Netflix special because he's got a lot Mm -hmm. to say and um, (laughs) can piss people off in the right way too, like in a good way. Um, I I, I like it. And, you know, I mean, I've seen Maria Bamford and it's hard not to love Uh. Maria Bamford. You know, anything she does is always, always good. I feel like there there might be a couple of stand-ups. I'm like real picky about who I... I shouldn't be so picky. I should go actually see more stand-up so that I have a little more exposure. I tend to go see people I already know are good, which is not, mm-hmm. like, the best method, and I'm blanking on anybody else. Dan Telfer is always who I say, though, because he's <laughs> so good. It's good to have. It's good to have an answer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Netflix is throwing a special at everyone, so he should get one, too. I agree. Make that happen. I agree. Yeah. Oh, and also, what am I saying? Jimmy Pardo. Uh, Jimmy Pardo is a <clears throat> He's an absolute nice. delight. He's, he's, he's too good. <laughs> No one have you heard same. his <laughs> have you heard his cover of Baby It's Cold Outside with Scott Ackerman? I love it very much. It's one of oh my favorite Oh my god, things. it's my favorite thing in the world. It's really hard to find, but I always post it every December because mm-hmm. it makes me so happy. I know, it was hard to hunt down. I was like, where the fuck can I buy this? So I had to steal it off of YouTube. I felt bad. I wanted to pay money yeah. for it. But yeah, that's that's the only place you can find it. 
Um, I feel like I've yeah. derailed us, so let's talk about this album a little more. Um, <laughs> it just happens. It, it happens does. naturally it on does. pods. There's, mm-hmm. Let's see. So what do we got? So we got a 30-second track, then a three-minute, then a six-minute, then a three-minute, then a seven-minute, then a one-minute, then a three-minute, then a two-minute, then a half-a-minute, yeah. nine-minute, and two It's minutes. all over the place. Holy shit. Yeah. And they, like, and there's these <laughs> long builds and these long stories. Like, I think John Henry is like a, a work of pure mm-hmm. genius. Uh, telling, mm-hmm. especially since they're tell- retelling a story that we know very well, that kind of yeah. joke can run dry real quick, but somehow does not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the spitting always makes me laugh. <laughs> it's like so silly. It's so silly, but yeah, they're so smart to dig into Americana because it's immediate connections with the audience they don't really have to lay any track they can just kind of jump in and poke fun at these things we all know kind of in the same way they did with Aesop it's just like the Smothers Brothers version they could do mm-hmm. it with anything honestly just like name your public domain thing and let the Smothers Brothers like run with it for real yeah um, you know what's, yeah. you know what's interesting did you ever see them perform the Smothers Brothers yeah no I did not. I might be too young. I I was shocked because I saw them perform towards the end, I think, of them performing it all, like right before they retired. And they were Mm. they were doing like this stuff. But then they're like, we can't resist. And they did plenty of stuff on George W. Bush. They just they didn't care. (laughs) They they were still being like they're just still poking at at, at the establishment. It would be very nice for them to come out of retirement right now, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, Um, Yeah. What was the vibe of the show? It was it. There, I think what they did was, and I could be, I could be completely just coloring this with my own perception, but it felt like they knew what people were expecting. So they, they wore the, they wore the suits. They were just, I think they knew people expected them to be these, these silly, sweet old men. They're probably aware that people have forgotten the tone of what they actually do and the importance of what they do. And you, you, they took advantage of that by doing some, you know, some stuff they'd done before, but then also reminding, reminding people that um, they're not just there to make you comfortable. And uh, mm. so I think that's why when they got political, it was just like, for me, it was like, thank fucking God, this made me so happy. And I, <laughs> I hope there are a couple people in there who are like, oh, God damn it. I didn't want, I didn't come here for this. I love that reaction. <laughs> I love, that is one of my favorite reactions. Oh to my gosh. It's so dumb. <laughs> If you didn't come here for this, what are you doing? <laughs> I know. You're I delusional. Know. Like, I feel like a majority yeah. of that audience would have been so upset if it was just a straight, like, folk review or something. For come real. on. For they real. Know, they know better than that. The Spillers Brothers are mm-hmm. too smart to do something like that. Come on now. Oh. <laughs> and I remember it just being very, just genuinely funny. Not just nostalgia funny. Not just, I know that stuff. Yeah. It seemed, it, in, my, in my brain, it was genuinely brilliant. Uh, it went by so fast. I'm so yeah, glad you got to experience time. that. Oh, me too. <laughs> me too. Uh, did yeah. you have you seen much of the show? Have you seen the documentary Smothered? I haven't seen the documentary, but I've read the oh. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the B Bialucci, some Bianucci. Oh, I, David Biancooli, Biancooli, if I remember correctly. There it is. Yes. Yeah. I've read his his book about it and some of his articles about them. Um, but no, is the is the doc worth seeking out? It is. I, I think it is based off of his book, though. So I think there might not be any new information, but it is great fun watching them do the shit that he's talking about. Yeah. Um, oh, so, so good. I mean, it's hard <laughs> to not. I, it's all stuff that I didn't know. So when I saw it, I was like, wait a minute. Are you, I did not. I thought they were just brilliantly funny. I knew they were a little subversive. I did not know. Oh, to you didn't level. know to the extent. Oh, mm-hmm. that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it is. Yeah. I mean, it's a Trojan horse. Call it what it is. You know, mm-hmm. and the, and how they were against Bonanza, that whole thing, 
Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, like, nothing could ever survive in that time slot. And then, like, right away, the Smothers Brothers just came in and, like, whoosh, no problem. Got their audience, got their following, like, right away, even across from Bonanza. Like, it's such mm-hmm. a fun little story. Um, I also, I was reading up on them, and I'd never heard the story before about the belated Emmy that Tommy Smothers got. Do you know that story? Do you know what I'm I talking don't, about? no. So, you know how they were awarded the Emmy for Best Writing the year they got canceled? Oh, yes. Uh Yeah, and that was just kind of this moment of, like, (laughs) the kind of the Emmy people being like, we love you, don't worry, like, CBS, whatever. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I I love, it's such a a great bucking authority moment. Um, But the story that I read a few days ago was about how Tommy Smothers specifically didn't put himself as one of the writers up for that Emmy. Um, And he didn't because he didn't want to kind of jeopardize the chances of winning by being on there himself. He thought it might be, like, too controversial. So he just, like, gave the attention to the writers, which, you know, included... The, all the people we love, Steve Martin, Rob Reiner, Bob Einstein, Albert Brooks, all those people that wrote for the Smothers mm-hmm. Brothers. Um, and then, like, they won amazing things. And then, like, 40 years later at an Emmys, um, Steve Martin presented Tommy with, like, a belated Emmy that he should have gotten as That's well. phenomenal. Yeah. Isn't that the sweetest story? <laughs> I had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, there's also one in the documentary... Is it in the documentary or is it on a... I don't know. It's definitely on that DVD. I don't think it's a special feature. There's a moment where Mason Williams... uh, It was at... When the Aspen Comedy Festival was still a thing, Mason Williams told a story about how he got hired for the show. They couldn't afford him, but the whole time um, Steve Martin was... uh, Was it Steve Martin? I think it was Steve Martin was paying out of his pocket for Mason Williams to work there. Like, that's how supportive these writers were of each other. They were just like... They just Mm. wanted them badly to work for the show. And he's just like... He found out later that he was paying for his paychecks. (laughs) I think that's... I think that might be reversed. Because I think it was Steve Martin. Is it the other way around? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Thank you. Because Steve Martin wasn't big yet. Because Steve Martin was still a baby. Yeah. Thank you for switching. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. (laughs) But yeah, Steve Martin... The fact that he got a job... I reread his memoir not too long ago because I did a big thing about Steve Martin that'll be coming out later on and like why he quit stand up because he's on that mm-hmm. list of amazing comedians. Can you imagine an hour from Steve Martin right now? It would be so interesting. But he like oh refuses to perform without Martin Short, which is silly and funny like in itself. I think is kind of adorable. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in his memoir, he talks about he was really dismissive of himself and his talent, and he just says that he got the show because being young was cool and he was young and they hired him and you're like right. Steve you know that it was more than that come on now don't sell yourself <laughs> short amazing. but they loved him and, and he was definitely a part of the crew and I think that was the first time he did stand up on stages that they like invited him on and they set it up like he's one of our writers and we're gonna let him you know tell some jokes do some magic whatever he was doing oh, back then it's phenomenal yeah that's so good. He, he he um have you ever heard there is a record called, it's either the Steve Martin Radio Show or the Steve Martin Radio Hour. It's a Warner Brothers record that they released in conjunction with a Wild and Crazy with Wild and Crazy Guy. Mm-hmm. And it is like a podcast. Yeah, it's, it's a it's, podcast. It's great. It's great. <laughs> it is. And it's so interesting because you can tell, I don't know, I don't know the details of when and how it was recorded, but it feels like, like Steve Martin 
comes off as so done and so tired. Uh-huh. Like he, uh-huh. he, you feel like he just like ran a marathon. He's exhausted, which you would think mm-hmm. would make for a bad interview. But I think it makes him right. a little more susceptible to the questions being asked and a little more I giving so. of himself. So it's kind of like if you watch that. YouTube show Hot Ones, where it's an interview while they eat increasingly spicy wings. Yes, it's like yes. it's like interviewing really tired people is a fun way <laughs> to kind of like maybe get a better answer because they're not on their guard, and that's kind of how I feel about that. Steve Martin, we'll call it a podcast. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, it, there's not a ton of Steve Martin interviews from back in the day where he's like actively talking about the work he's doing. All we have is yeah. like retrospective. So to hear him at the time talk about his success, which was, I mean, unparalleled. He was the biggest show business person in like the history of show business when he was mm-hmm. selling out arenas and at his peak. Um, and then he was gone so fast and it breaks my heart. But I, I get it. Me I get too. it. Do you, um, boy, oh boy, for this, uh, let's, uh, let's skip back to the album for a moment and... Of course. Or back to the Smothers Brothers in general. Are there other of their albums that, that stand out to you? I mean, I, again, I know you picked this one for a reason, but are there others of them, of theirs that you've heard that you particularly like? Sure. Um, first in my head is obviously Aesop. As I've said, I really enjoy yes. that one. Um... I used to babysit these twin six-year-old boys when I lived in L.A., and I would play that for them a lot, (laughs) which is probably why I've heard it so much. Um, But obviously Uh you can't beat the Purple Onion. I think um, that would probably be up there as well. Curb Your Tongue, Knave, obviously is huge, and I feel like that's the one most people know. I might be wrong Mm -hmm. about that, but that's one of the bigger ones. Is there one for you that you love, or do you kind of see them as a big lump? Much as I love them all, Purple Onion is for sure the yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And I don't know why. It is the first one I heard of theirs and one yeah. of the first comedy albums I remember listening to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is It is brilliant. It's is that, that's the one that starts with the Pretoria thing, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Yep. I get that. Um, and then they also, I think, have I Will Never Marry on that one too, right? They do. Sounds accurate. Yeah. Because okay, this is so interesting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, They have it on that one, but I don't think they do the joke ending. And then when they did it on Think Ethnic, they did have the joke ending where he's like, "But I, you know, I'll mess around a bit though." Like that (laughs) was so maybe they got that idea and they were like, "Oh, let's do it again just for that one tag." That's awesome. Right. It, they have uh, there are a few different artists who I like who clearly we touring artists that where you can hear those kinds of parallels um, and I, I, I do like hearing when they change shit up and when you yeah. you know there's a mix of, of audience sizes and a mix of responses even on this one album there's a couple different weird mixes where there's a couple where it sounds like there's an audience member up on the mic with them almost like you can hear them hmm. talking to each other there's a couple tracks yeah i mean it's not the comedy's too good and going too fast you don't really give a shit what they're saying but i am curious <laughs> as to why i could hear them i it, it, they're all recorded where does it say somewhere in st louis if i'm not mistaken they recorded mm. this all the crystal palace in st louis Ooh, uh, it says uh, crystal this, palace yeah what's really funny is on the back it tells you every microphone they used to record it as well as the tape recorder they used which is pretty funny that's kind of um, charming mm-hmm. i kind of yeah. like that oh yeah well and one thing I, I used to do on my radio show is i really like as you were saying seeing a bit progress like seeing yeah. a comedian find the tags 
or let's be real, another comedian like suggesting a tag, <laughs> sure. um, which happens too. N- no shade at all. Totally fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I remember playing on my show. There was like one bit that I saw a comedian do and then do again in six months and then again about six months later. And I played all three versions and picked it apart and got all nerdy about it. But it's fun. Awesome. It's such an amazing way to see a process is to see a work unfinished and then see it finish. <coughs> Excuse me. I had a I had an experience. Oh, you know what? I boy, I, I feel like I. Uh, well, how do I how do I talk about this without <coughs> accidentally sounding like I'm throwing shade? Because um, I'm not. I will just say there's one comedian who the name of which I will tell you later because oh this God, person I is worth watching. Um, yeah. But I remember going to see this person live uh, out of L.A. Uh, some friends were like, hey, do you want to come see stand-up? I'm like, I never do, so yeah, why don't I come see stand-up? And I did. This person was, I thought, quite brilliant. And then I was telling everybody about them, and I'm like, uh, let me send you a clip. And I found it on YouTube. I'm like, this is nothing. This is not nearly as polished as what I saw live. And I'm like, <laughs> and I had to be like, this is this is the the basic is almost what I saw, but like it was so perfectly polished when I saw it where I'm like, you need a special today. You need a comedy album right now. And mm. then I send people who I know who could make maybe maybe make that album happen. I'm like, just think of this, but better. And that's it's a weird yeah. experience. Yeah. Well, that's part of what's so sad too. Like, imagine how frustrating it would be if you were a comedian and you knew a joke wasn't finished and someone recorded it and put it on YouTube, and you're yep. like, come on, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'd be awful. It'd be so frustrating. For so, sure. Yeah, I totally I totally understand. But um, as a fan. I think it's terrible. As an academic, I love it of because I, I love I love seeing the process. Of course, well, and so I'm I'm, I'm also a person there. who uh, I do this. I have this dick move when I'm watching a stand up, and I've never done stand up. I'm like, you should have switched those words around, like in my head. I would never say it to their face, oh, but I'm like, you, you're like, yeah, oh, I'm you're like giving so them picky. notes in, in my your head. head. In my head, I've rewritten a number yeah. of sets, and uh, just you know, you know what works, but also I'm not gonna pur- purport to be like, <coughs> oh, well, I could fix that. I could do it better. I would never say that. I'm just like, sure. you know, if somebody wanted to hire me to, to, to fix their shit, sure, go right ahead. But that's a different situation. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, with anything, it's always easier to edit than it is to produce. Absolutely. So, yeah, completely. There, you know, I think even a non-comedian, I think if you just understand language and performance to a degree, you can give anyone some constructive feedback. For sure. But... I don't remember the last time any comedian asked for that. <laughs> like, right. yep. I, yep. I don't think that's something in any demand at all. And nope. I think there's um, an enormous supply and zero demand. Yep, that's why I'm all just sitting there with my fingers crossed and I hope it's better next time. And if it is, then okay, cool. Then I'll probably keep watching. I, I, but I also sure. like, you know, if you've got the basics there and you're not a, just a shitty person on stage, then I will give you a chance. Several chances, probably. <laughs> and frankly... There's something kind of fun about watching a comedian not do well and try to figure out how to make it work, yep. you know? Yeah. There's such a, a beauty in that when they're like, okay, this isn't working. And you can watch them either pull out old material that is, like, safe and not exciting for them but might get the crowd back on their side. Um, or watch them turn to crowd work. Like, it's it's kind of like it's a game, you yeah. know? And watch them figure out which pieces to move to try and get it back. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I guess, also includes just, like, not even caring. Because you see comedians do that, too, when oh, they're just like, sure. okay, fuck you guys, I'm done. Uh-huh. <laughs> or then you've got, and mm-hmm. I don't know if he still does this as much, but going back to Pete, Hol- Pete Holmes, he always had an artistic way of... And, and very just like, he would do it so bluntly, point out how badly a joke did or how the, oh, mm-hmm. it must be the audience's fault, which I always kind of enjoy. 
I, I, I enjoy yeah. it. Um, so, yeah. So, sure. there are ways to play with like, it. You guys are wrong. That was mm-hmm. funny. Mm-hmm. You can you hear comedians do that a lot. A lot of comedians who came up in Chicago did that. I don't know. Interesting. I see that in a, in a lot of those. So, they probably all, like, learned from each other. But, like, Pete and TJ and Kumail, that kind of crew. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, like, no, you guys are wrong. That was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which I think is kind of fun. It's not for everyone. It can be a crutch when it's not used correctly. For sure. I think. Um, but... When it's when it's fun, it, it changes the vibe into something that's a lot more communal. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Ian Brody, who wrote this really great book on stand-up called A Vulgar Art, um, has a, has like a list of twelve or thirteen things that he thinks kind of defines what stand-up comedy is. Um, it's not there to exclude anyone. It's kind of just more of an intellectual exercise at trying to pinpoint what this weird art form is mm-hmm. even and like how to spot it. Um, because it's it's kind of like porn in the sense like I'll know it when I see it, yep, you know? Yep. Um, it's, it's kind of a flimsy definition. But one of the things that I love about that list is um, he says that it's performed in front of, to, and with an audience. Uh-huh. Like it has those, those three prepositions that I think get to what stand-up is, is like this isn't theater in the sense they're not, you know, maybe if they're <laughs> a little hacky or they have a really specific thing, mm-hmm. maybe they're just reciting a routine word for word. But typically they're, you know, listening to the audience and, and hearing what they're t- being told through the different types of laughs or the absence of laughs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and sculpting it as, as they go, which is part of the, the beauty of it and the sloppy fun of stand-up. For sure. For sure. You know, it's so funny, too, is I like that we're talking so much about stand-up, and in my brain, I always kind of forget that that is 100% what these guys are doing. They're just doing character stand-up, but I would never, I would yeah. never necessarily put it in that, in that format, you know, I wouldn't... Well, musical comedy is kind of its own bag, For right? sure, for sure, but it is, it is, it is more, this is more stand-up than it is, you know, sketch, even though two people is the minimum requirement for a sketch, usually. Um, but yeah, it is it is 100% more stand-up. I just never thought of it that way. And I like that that's, that's the lens through which we were looking at the Smothers Brothers today, which is kind of fun. Mm, it's, yeah, it's super true. Fun. It's, an, it's a new perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of character comedy? Because I think it gets kind of a bad rep. I mean, I love it. And I, th- I, I, I also think that uh, the more people dig deep, the more they're realizing there's a lot more character comedy out there anyway. Uh, you know, I, I really do think I mean, uh, you, they can, somebody can be as honest as they want, and we've learned uh, that we don't know shit about them at all. So if anybody's getting up oh, there being hundred percent honest, uh, they're probably not doing comedy. I think you know, it's it's mm. it's. I don't I don't know. I mean, it, it's again, it's all through a lens. It's all tweaked. I just hit my microphone again. Uh, it's 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 all. I don't <laughs> know. It's. I like character comedy. It's always worked for me. And, uh, it, well, I say it's always worked for me. There are some weird exceptions, obviously, where it's, it could be too much. There's some where I'm incredibly curious about. I ran across a guy, I guess I'd forgotten existed, named, and I'm not going to, his name is Mr. Zed. Does this sound in any way familiar to you? Do you have any idea it what this is? It does not. <laughs> okay. No. Let Keep me going. explain what this is. Um, I am so curious about it, and I, full disclosure, I'm going to probably have him on the podcast, I'm not. Go- okay. I wouldn't say that this guy has any kind of groundbreaking jokes, but I'm fascinated by the fact that he got up in the '80s and played a robot doing stand-up. That was his bit. He was a very brilliant mime, very good fake hmm. robot shit. But he was doing robot and technology-based stand-up in the guise of a robot man. He wasn't doing anything groundbreaking. He was telling old vaudeville-style jokes, hmm. and it was very weird. 
but huh. I couldn't keep my eyes off of him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could have told me that, and I could have told you that that was in the 80s. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, it just feels so 80s. 100%. Um, he still does it, Brendan too. Walsh, Brendan Walsh has done stand-up in... Like, as a monster. It's like, I think it's just scary monster. And he comes up and does, like, hacky jokes, like, about being a monster. Amazing. That seems kind of like that. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it's I think it's super fun. Um, so, when I was... Um, I, I, I'm curious if you'll relate to this, but I really notice the difference in my taste in comedy change as, like, my life changes and as the country changes and things like that. Like... I think when I was in high school, I was more in a place where I was feeling all the things that teenagers feel and just kind of feeling distant from those around me and like craving intimacy. And so I really loved the comedians that had that vulnerability to them that felt like they were really saying something from their core mm -hmm. and it was all like deep, deep and emotional. And I think as I'm getting older and I'm an adult, I guess, and dealing with, like, <laughs> an annoying adult things, I find myself more drawn to comedians that are, like, light and silly and having fun and yep. don't have that, like, weight to them. Um, and, you know, depending on the day or my mood, that's going to swing back and forth. But I think that is, like, an overarching theme, um, which might come back to, like, the first thing I said about the Smellers, which is, like, yeah, all the amazing politics stuff is incredible what they were able to do, but let's also not forget how much silly fun they had. Yep. <laughs> um, so I think that's that's a big theme here. I don't know. Has your taste, have you noticed your taste changing in comedy in general? Or? I think so. I don't know if I could necessarily nail down how uh, in what way they've changed. I think the, what you're describing does make sense. Like if uh, depending on how vulnerable you are, how vulnerable you want to be, maybe that vulnerable mm. comedy is is stronger. I know that definitely in my 20s when George Bush had just George W. Bush had just become president, I was I was angry at the world and therefore David Cross was like the perfect thing and discovering <laughs> Bill Hicks late was the perfect thing and just oh, people Bill who Hicks. really wanted to like fucking say something and make a change. I mean, that informed my own work for a very long time and then quickly once I realized how depressing it is to be in the entertainment business, I wanted that happy pill as fast as possible. So mm -hmm. I regressed real quick and this shit has, it, you know, the funnier and goofier it is, like uh, it is always... And I don't mean this in a way to diminish what it actually is. It's comfort food, but it's also the filled. Mm. It's it's, uh, and I say that because usually you say comfort food, and that means it's not actually nourishing. I th I think this is still very good comedy, so uh, there needs yeah. to be a better word for it. But yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, I always so so. What do you when you have like a really hard day, or you're just like really exhausted? Like, what do you put on to nourish your soul? Ooh, <laughs> It's hard because <laughs> if I'm gonna go back and re-listen to a com if it's a comedy album, if I'm it's it's probably gonna be Weird Al. It's gonna have to be something that is musical. Really? Yeah, because it is uh, not to say that I don't have to think about it, but it is it is familiar. Uh, it It'll is carry you calming. in a different way if it's yeah, musical. Yeah, and I made you know like it, it's it's a big part of my life. Whereas a lot of comedy albums, I need to be most comedy albums, I have to be in the mood to listen to them. I, I'm sure I could actually, you know what? Yeah. I'm now thinking I need to dig back into the Smothers Brothers again because of how much I was laughing mm. listening to this. I feel like I've missed out yeah. by not re-listening to them for a while. Sure. I mean, I think in general, it's safe to say that music just has a higher re-listen value than stand-up probably does. Sure. I think that's just kind of a truism, so that makes sense for Weird Al and Smobros mm -hmm. as, as an answer there. Yeah, sometimes... 
Um, and for me, it's always something that I know I've heard a million times, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's when, when I've had a bad day, I don't want to listen to anything new. I want to listen to something that I know backwards and forwards, and Absolutely. I know when I'll laugh, and I will laugh at those times. Yeah. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't diminish that at all. No. <clears throat> I think I come back yeah, also to the Monty beautiful. Python Sings album and Rachel Bloom's album, mm. which is genius. Oh, interesting. It's so good. The Journeyman album, speaking yeah. of Matt Gorley, mm-hmm. also brilliant. And stupid. Oh, Mac Orley. It's such a good album. <laughs> um, Brilliant and stupid is the best. Yeah. That's what like we're all shooting for. I think, I think so. That's awesome. I think so. Yeah. Um, uh. I want to. I want you to tell people why to listen to this album. So if they don't know this mother's brother brothers at all, as the years go by, those chances are increasing. Why give this one a listen first if you're going to recommend it for that reason? Ooh, I love a a task. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> brothers and sisters. No, uh, I think one of the main appeals to the Smothers Brothers is that you can come at it from whatever angle, right? So you can listen to whatever mood you're in that day, and you can follow that into the Smothers Brothers. Someone that has a different style, you know, Lenny Bruce, Bob Hope, those comedians have come up today. You gotta be in a particular mindset. But... Um, the Smothers Brothers, I think, are listenable from different angles. If you want to listen for the music, you can listen for the music. If you want to listen for the dumb quibbles, you can do that. If you want to listen for just the sibling cuteness, you can listen for that. There's like a million different ways to look at this album, and it seems kind of like you had a similar experience, too, with what stuck out to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I would challenge people to attack this album from where they're at and see what it does for them kind of at that time, as opposed to try and get themselves in the right mindset. Um, see what this, what this, <laughs> what these boys can do for you where you are. I think that would be my, my challenge here. That's awesome. No, nobody's ever, yeah. uh, nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever uh, specifically challenged somebody to listen to it actively in that way. I like that. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, so why don't you tell people where they can find you, find your work, et cetera, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Yeah, sure. Um, so first and foremost, I have a YouTube channel. It's just my name, Katie Mears. Um, but some videos that I've made recently that I'm really proud of, like I did a deep dive into Gary Gullman, Rory Scovel, Maria Bamford, James Adomian, all of whom I think are totally underappreciated and should have <laughs> um, been, been on a different level. And so I just look at who they are and, and why um, they're kind of my picks for who I would love to see leading the next revolution in, in stand-up comedy. Um, so check that out if you're interested. Um, be nice, subscribe, do whatever <laughs> you want. Um, also, I'm working on a chapter right now in a forthcoming book about stand-up comedy that I'm really excited about. There's some awesome people writing chapters, and that's going to be kind of about the not necessarily the darker side of comedy, but kind of the underbelly of stand-up um, and, and what goes on when it's not all smiles on stage. So um, look out for that if you're interested. And go see some live stand-up. Uh, get out there. Go to a club you've never been to and, and see a comedian whose name you've never heard of. It's a, re- I, it's a really I good idea. I recommend it. For sure. Especially <laughs> yeah. if you call yeah. yourself a comedy appreciator like me and have had a podcast for this long and don't go see stand-up <laughs> almost at all. I wasn't I wasn't subtweeting you <laughs> there, I promise. <laughs> uh, I know, but I'm, I'm just trying to remind myself every time somebody brings it up. It's like, don't forget. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, yeah. it's important. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for doing the show. This has been super fun. 
Yay! Uh, I'm so glad. You're it's welcome been a back anytime, uh, especially uh, if Thank you want to talk about something I like. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I want to talk about anything because I would actually like to be challenged. Uh, I don't mind being challenged if it's something I've never heard or maybe I think I won't like. That's happened a few times, and most of the time I've still. I'm been sure right. it has. Uh, I mean, how many episodes have you done? There's no way that hasn't happened. We're almost at 300. and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and we've repeated a few. I, I like that we're repeating less and less because I'm pushing people to repeat less and less. And I'm also... the. I mean, the only thing that I... The only rule that I have that I don't really verbalize on the show is that there are some artists where I'm just like, I just have no interest in talking about these people at this point. They've <gasps> done too much oh. shit to people. I just can't can't do it. Oh, hot gossip. Can you spill oh, it? Oh, yeah. Easy enough. Uh, Bill Cosby and Woody Allen. Those two are just like, their albums are uh, brilliant. But I just can't. Yeah. We just can't. I just can't do it. I, what am I supposed to do at this point? No, I hear you. At this point, like I I'm co-signing you. on their careers, and I can't do that. <laughs> I can't do yeah. that. Yeah. Would you do that for Louis? Or you? No. Yeah. I mean, no. That? Also, him. He's also off the fucking. He's that man. <laughs> there's no redeeming him either. I have no interest. Oh, boy. Yeah, you don't think he'll have some kind of uh, <laughs> mea culpa and return? He, he, oh, no? oh, I don't doubt that he will, uh, but uh, he's he's already gone off the deep end. Not for you, though? He's insane. He's yeah. He's gone crazy, and I don't... Uh... Did you hear the little leaked thing of... Oh, no. His... no I didn't bother. Oh. I saw enough people writing about oh. it. I'm like, oh, I'm good. Nope, I'm fine. You should... Okay, okay. It makes me so okay. uncomfortable. <laughs> he makes me so uncomfortable at this point. He, fair, he's too, fair, he's too much of a creep. Like it's 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 come to the point where I used to not want to talk about uh, comics or comedians uh, or sketch groups or whatever, where I thought the person was just an asshole. At this point, assholes are fine because creeps I don't want to talk about or want on the show. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because so you, like your tolerance has yep. changed because the level of terrible has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In- if I, interesting. Yeah, if I had known that that was out there, and I guess maybe I should have because the rumors were out there. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things that sure. it, it changes your perspective. And, you know, people will mm-hmm. whine and say, yeah, but their comedy was great. Yep, yeah, no shit. I'm fully aware. That's that's why it's it's <laughs> it's a little frustrating we can't talk about them, but I well, don't want to either anymore. It's not like they're painters or something. Right. It's so different when it's a stand-up comedian to try and separate the art from the artist. It's mm-hmm. it's a much harder task. Yeah, I mean, if it's, yeah. if it's supposed to be this honest art form, well, okay, there are a number of things that just happened. Okay, they were clearly dishonest. They weren't talking about everything. And yeah. I mean, if you're going to deny that that person was in there when they wrote and performed that joke, that's a little dishonest. You know, that mm. that creep was in there. That creep wrote, wrote that shitty joke or that great joke. Sure. That creep wrote that great joke. Sure. about whatever. So it's yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting time. Yeah, I'm really fascinated to see to see what comes next from some of these men. Mm hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even know where to go. <laughs> um, uh, again, thank you for doing the show. I think we did it. Yeah, we yeah, did. It, it was good. Um, uh, everybody, if you're if you're uh, still listening to my rambling, you can also listen to my other podcast, Anna Jay's Comedy Hour, uh, Dispatches from Fort Awesome, which is about the TV show News Radio. I've got something coming up about the music of the presidents of the United States of America. Keep an eye out for that. Mm. Uh, that'll be mm. fun. I am not a music expert, but luckily my co-host is. And uh, go to no, uh, you know what? I you can go to comedyarchive.org. It's not much yet, but there will be some stuff up there in the coming months. So check that out. Um, again, Katie, thank you for doing the show. Yeah, such a blast! Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for listening, and as always, have a good thing. Mm-hmm. 
Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. This episode is also underwritten by $300 Data Recovery. Visit $300DataRecovery.com to get a quote on their highly recommended data recovery services. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. <laughs>